Please be seated. So I heard a surprising statistic recently that of all the holy texts in major religions, the Christian texts, our Bible, have more women in it than any other. We have over 90. Now, I'm not sure of the source or the reliability of the source, but online, a bunch of scholars I know popped in, so it can't be too far off. But it caused me pause. Hmm. We may have more women, but so many of their stories are hidden. So many don't even have names. And we've inherited a history of biblical interpretation with assumptions and presumptions that are not in the text. Mary Magdalene, prime example, we heard of this morning. When you hear her name, what do you think? Prostitute? Scripture never says she's a prostitute. She's referred to in Mark and Luke as the one who Jesus cast out seven demons. Nothing about them being sexual demons or prostitution. And that dangerous presumption continues today about many of the women in Scripture. We just heard a gospel story about a woman who's described as a sinner. The whole town knows she's a sinner. Her sin isn't named, but a pretty new interpretive translation of the Bible from 2002 called The Message, which was created to help modernize scripture and take away those difficult to understand words like marketplace and replace them with shopping mall. <laughs> this 21st century translation that a lot of the more cool congregations are using calls the woman in this story not a sinner, but a harlot. Now, no comment on how often harlot is used in popular culture today to refer to anyone in the sex trade. But over the centuries, biblical interpretation has contributed to the radical over-sexualization of women, depicting us as one-dimensional temptresses. Our first reading today also keys on a woman who historically has been depicted as a temptress. Bathsheba. What do you think of when you hear Bathsheba? The naked woman on the roof, lustily bathing herself for David's benefit so he can lay eyes on her. Tempting him into adultery. And today's reading is mostly about Nathan, a prophet, trusted by King David, who chastises him through a parable for stealing Bathsheba. The subtitle in many Bibles is David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And that's technically true. Because after David saw her, he sends for her. And as scripture says, she came to him and he lay with her. Her husband was a top warrior. And David sends word to the front to send this husband out to, quote, the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. Now the problem is, Bathsheba wasn't doing anything unusual on that rooftop. That was, in that time and culture, the chaste place to bathe. It was a place where everyone would assume privacy, like we would assume privacy in a closed bathroom today. 
It's also a place where religious women, Jewish women, would purify themselves once a month, which was what she was doing. David was the transgressor here, not alluring Bathsheba. She was being faithful to her faith, and he was doing what we would call today peeping Tom business. Going where you should not go. And in this light, Bathsheba's story turns very dark and very disturbing. That David calls a woman who was innocently bathing, uses his power to bring her to him and lays with her. I would call that a story of sexual abuse. And that is why Nathan, known as one of God's prophets, confronts David and pronounces God's judgment. Today in our class on the Bible, we discuss that the idea of the Bible, that the Bible is God's living word. The idea that God speaks to us today in scripture, that that's a thing where we are called to bring our hearts, our minds, our souls to reading and hearing scripture free of assumptions and presumptions. And we can't throw out millennia of biblical scholarship. There's a lot of benefit there. But we need to encounter texts ourselves from our own truths. And there are dangers in adopting assumptions that are historical or cultural from today. The story of Bathsheba and David is a horrible abuse of privilege and power And yet, when the severe consequences are imposed, God's love for David doesn't die. God still promises that he will establish David's royal throne forever. God says, I will be a father to you. You will be a son to me. But whenever you do wrong, I will discipline you. But I will never take my faithful love from you. So let's look at the woman in the gospel today. She's responding to God's faithful love and reaches out to Jesus in his faithful love. And she's known as the sinner in town. She bravely enters the Pharisee's house, goes to Jesus' feet, and she's crying so much that her tears are wetting his feet. She anoints Jesus with oil, and he in turn bathes her with love says her love means her sins have already been forgiven because in that forgiveness she is showing love and he fills her with his peace. Now we don't know what the sin is and maybe it was as the 2002 interpretation said she was a harlot but there are a lot of other sins that would have been notorious enough for a whole town to know. Was she an alcoholic? An embezzler? A petty thief? Did she hurt her children? We don't know. But we do know she was racked with pain, and she came to Jesus as her hope. And that whatever she'd heard from him, or whatever she'd experienced in his presence before, and the crowds that were following him around Galilee, that drew her into a home she wasn't invited to. And she lays herself before him in total humility. 
And what we do know is that Jesus' arms were open to her, wide open to her, just as they are wide open to us. Now at this point, the Pharisee Simon thinks, doesn't she, Jesus know she's like a really horrible sinner? And Jesus replies, do you see this woman? And Simon, he's talking to Simon over here, but Jesus turns to the woman and says to her, with catching her eye, do you see this woman? Jesus sees the woman as she is and loves her. Do we see this woman? Do we see Bathsheba? Do we see in our modern day and time beyond cultural stigma and beyond shaming, be it of women or other disempowered populations? I've been torn up this week by the Stanford sexual assault case, and I couldn't help but make the connection to Bathsheba and this woman in the gospel. I'm not going to talk about the case graphically. What I want to do is invite you to think about where is Jesus in this Stanford story? Is Jesus in this situation? If you have not been in the loop, a Stanford student sexually assaulted a young woman in a particularly brutal fashion, and he was convicted recently on three felony counts for that one crime. At his sentencing, the survivor, she read one of the most powerful letters I have ever heard from a sexual assault survivor. And I'm someone who had volunteered through the 80s and a good part of the 90s at a rape crisis center. She described the assault's severe impact on her, 12 pages of honest, clear, heart-wrenching story. She laid it all out in the open, the detail, the wounds, the pain, and all the challenges in reclaiming her life, the fears, the difficulty over the past year, year and a half. She basically asked the perpetrator in court, the judge, and ultimately the public, because ultimately she released this statement, do you see me? Here's my experience, so humble, so raw. Now the shocking thing is, and the thing that's ripped me up and ripped up so many in our nation, is that the judge did not see her. Instead, he imposed a far less than typical minimum sentence of two years. He sentenced this man to three months with a couple of years probation. And in the county that they're at, three, any sentence of a felony, you only serve half that time. So this man is going to serve 45 days in jail. Now the judge cited his concern that a longer sentence would negatively impact this young man's life. And there are so many layers of power imbalance here. The perpetrator is white from a very wealthy family, was able to hire very powerful lawyers. He's a Stanford student. He's a champion swimmer, potential Olympic hopeful. I can't help but think of David as the powerful king. 
But like the woman in the gospel, this survivor of the assault opened herself up before us all. Her 12-page statement has sparked more conversation about the pervasiveness of sexual assault in America than I've ever heard. She's asked, do you see me? And a lot of our country is crying, yes. Our vice president at the end of this week released a public letter with the exact line, and I quote, I see you. And then he did another remarkable thing. He named the pervasiveness of the crime that one in five college women are sexually assaulted in, in college. One in five. And that hasn't changed in decades since my time in the late 70s and early 80s in college. So that is our call. Do we see? Do we see the men and women among us who have survived? Do we see them as full people without shame, blame, or stigma, just as Jesus would have? And we have power structures based on economics and skin color, citizenship, gender, sexual orientation. And so many of these power structures render people that are on the non-empowered side of the equation, the non-wealthy, non-white, non-male, non-heterosexual, render them invisible, render some of us invisible. Hide us under a shadow of blame, scorn, shame, or disdain. Now it's pretty fabulous today that the reason these pews are so empty is that a good chunk of our congregation are with our rector Nate at the Gay Pride Parade right now. And this is a parade that started to proclaim, it started out the first year proclaiming, we exist. The parade's whole goal in the beginning was to be a wit living witness to see us. We are here, we are part of humanity. And it's an absolute heartbreak that this parade is happening the morning after the horrible massacre last night in the gay nightclub in Orlando. Do you see this woman? Do you see the invisible? Are you the woman, the invisible? Are you being made seen in Jesus? How do we free ourselves from assumptions? The trick is to see like Jesus sees, with love, with compassion, and that fullness of love and compassion which breeds peace. The radical promise in today's gospel is that whatever the horror, love and forgiveness are ours. Even David is forgiven. Wherever we are on our spiritual journey, wherever we are on our spectrum of power or disempowered, we are welcome in Christ's arms. We are here to see as Jesus saw the woman. We are here to be the woman who saw Jesus' love and then turned around and expressed that love. That's quite a call. That's quite a promise. Amen.